Today I'm joined by Ken Hong, the man who taught the British how to cook Asian food. One of the most celebrated and respected TV chefs, he's a leading authority on Chinese cuisine. Ken is one of the fathers of fusion cooking and an inspiration to millions of home cooks worldwide. Good morning, Ken. How are you today? Hi, fine. Thank you. <laughs> nice to meet you. I'm so happy that you're here. So, as you know, my podcast is called The Naughty Bites. What I love it. Your... <laughs> I have to ask you, what is your guiltiest pleasure? My guiltiest pleasure is um, right... Uh, I live here in Bangkok part of the time, and right down the street here is a lady who sells uh, fried chicken skin. <laughs> oh it's God. very naughty and bad, but it's so good. <laughs> it is so good. And the thing is, um, she sells out all the time very, very quickly. So I have to be there at the right time. I said, you got your chicken skin? My <laughs> 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 three packs of them. <laughs> it's oh so God. good. And do you have a dipping sauce with it or just as is? No, you could. Just all it needs is a little bit of salt. You don't want to take anything away from the delicious fat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So if you have to compare the chicken skin with pork scratchings, what would you pick? Same thing. The same thing. <laughs> That's amazing. I must try it. I must try it. Um, so I wanted to ask you, as an ambassador for Action Against Hunger, you help families yeah. feed their children and build a sustainable future. Um, mm -hmm. In what ways have you helped them achieve sustainability? Well, I think by raising funds for the charity. And how do I do that? Well, what I know how to do best is to cook. Mm -hmm. And what I do, Isha, is, um, uh, for instance, every year we auction some dinners okay um about a couple of dinners a year and usually i set a minimum of at least two or mm. three thousand quid per person okay okay and for four people maximum and they come to one of my homes in fact uh, there's uh, some people that have come to my place in france and paris and here in bangkok mm. <laughs> and i cook for them yeah, and of course, I supply everything with wine and everything. And of course, all the money goes to actually the hunger. And okay. what I love about that, I'm able to, to do um, that by raising funds for them. And uh, you know, over the years, I've raised hundreds of thousands of pounds. And this okay. helps the charity to help people, to, to, for instance, do sustainable farming and to teach okay. them more important of all is it's not just giving them food like charity but to help mm. them to help themselves and that Fantastic. to me is good that's really sustainable because you're really yeah. uh, giving them the um the charge then and um to let them understand how mm. they can sort of grow food and how to sustain it and to do it in a way yeah. that uh, once the charity is gone, they can help themselves. So it's good because it makes them be, the educating part makes them more self-sufficient and Absolutely. also also understand their, their vegetation, their soil to make things, exactly. you know, for example, you know, growing tomatoes in winter no, you have to understand your climate, your nature, and understand each soil is different to every country and what's best to grow there. So I think that's fantastic. It, it, it really drives me crazy. In the West, for instance, we have um, uh, gotten away from uh, living seasonally. And what yeah. I mean by that is we should only eat asparagus when it's in season. We should only yeah. eat tomatoes in season and strawberries. And why are we eating that in the middle of 
Christmas. I mean, it's crazy. I, mean, <laughs> I don't get it. Crazy. Like, it, it, it drives me insane because um, recently I read an article on the in, in, in the New York Times that there's a food yeah. shortage in the UK. And oh, oh, tomato. <laughs> the tomatoes. Oh, my goodness. It's, crazy. <laughs> it's exactly it's not, it's that. Tra- it's exactly no. that. And, and you're right. It's Number one, it's not sustainable uh, oh. because we shouldn't be oh. flying all this in. Yet. Um, and I know that Spain is growing them. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And, but, but I it's, think it's, the, it's not hot enough in Spain. To, it's not because tomatoes. it's winter. It's our winter. And we've had, because a lot of the vegetables and fruit come from Almeria, which is an hour exactly. down the road. And yes. um, it's still winter there. It's not summer. And so when you're trying to grow tomatoes mm-hmm. in winter, it's not going to be sustainable. And so, of course, there's going to be shortages. But again, and you know, it's not, right? And you yeah. agree with me? It's not good at that time it's because it's terrible. not terrible. It's not sun. I mean, tomatoes in the prime of of summer is so sweet and they taste like strawberries. Than... It's amazing. Exactly. It's exactly. amazing, and I find it frustrating that it's it's um you're trying to get out of season produce in all year round and it's impossible and it's going to taste more like water and the skin is going to be hard so i don't know why people want it but i'm hoping (laughs) seasonality and provenance takes over i hope that's hope but it frustrates me absolutely that that's why we need people like you your podcast can help people understand that it's really, so. it's terribly important. For, for instance, uh, something I'm ranting and raving about is food waste. And, you know, in the UK, practically half of the food is thrown in the bin. Yeah. It Excuse is. Me. I'm, and I'm, well, you can call me cheap. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I'm cheap and, do you know what? And I, I can't stand you throw anything in the bin unless it's totally rotten yeah no, absolutely because it was curious for me that if restaurants and supermarkets are throwing food away why can't that food be used in food banks for the homeless shelters or people that genuinely need it because now with inflation a lot of people can't afford to buy food so it, it surprises me that in, a West, in Western countries, there's a lot of homelessness because the change in, you're not, a lot of people aren't earning enough to pay for mm-hmm. the food in that country. And it frustrates me absolutely. And, and you know, I know that there are chefs such as Massimo Batura. So he is, he cooks and you know, I work with, with all the ways. I work with him. Oh, you know, I, I love him. I work with him. For, you know, when I'm in Paris, I go to mm. um, the charity, one of the charities that he founded. In the, um, uh, I cook in the Madeleine, which is a church mm. in uh, central Paris. And the food that comes, I don't know what I'm going to make. I arrive in the morning with all my volunteer friends and neighbors. I grab them and I say, come and help me. And um, I see food that arrives from the supermarket, from Carrefour, mm. because in France, there's a mandate that you can't throw food away and you have to give it to a charity to use. Mm. And I see what's coming. And the last time I cooked there, I cooked filet mignon. I mean, a uh, beef. Oh, wow. Because it is one date to, uh, um, it expires, the sell-by date. It's ridiculous. It's uh, mm. all shrink wrap and it's perfectly fine. And uh, I, I made a dinner for 100 people. <laughs> wow wow that's people. amazing but i, I find oh my god i'm so hungry but this is the thing <laughs> like i feel like there's not enough awareness about this in the industry you know there are chefs that are slowly you know changing their direction into you know um for example there's another chef james golding and um um stephen harris and they have their own mm-hmm. plot of land 
within their kitchen, within their garden, and they'll go, okay, what am I cooking today? Let's go to the garden. And they will see what is being grown. You know, they make their own butter. They So they're all about provenance and sustainability and seasonality. And I think a lot of chefs should be going towards that because, you know, there's so much, there's so much things, so much wastage. And that's what frustrates yeah. me in the industry. For instance, Anisha, you know, a lot of people don't know that over the years, I'm not, I'm not just a television cook, but I had a professional career where I went mm -hmm. around the world in restaurants and consulting and things like that. So I, when I work mm -hmm. in the kitchen, first thing I look for, the bin, because yeah. I said, that's where your profit is. For instance, <laughs> it's true. you're peeling, you're peeling garlic. Well, don't throw the peels away, throw them into stock. When you're making mm -hmm. a stock, throw the peels of the garlic in there. Yeah. Uh, and you'd be surprised at how wonderful the stock will taste just using yeah. garlic peels. After you get everything, all the flavors out of them, then you can throw them away. <laughs> but do you know what I do with garlic? You're going to think it's a bit strange, but I roast my garlic skin with olive oil. So I collect yes. them, I roast it with garlic, mm -hmm. um, olive oil in the oven. And when it's slightly not bad brown, but when it's almost you know, super brown, I crush it and use it as a seasoning. And I use half That's of it brilliant. in my soil. And when I grow um, coriander or fenugreek, I mm -hmm. put my seeds in and there's always the leaves have an essence of, of garlic as well. Because I think the nutrients really help flavor the food, but a lot of people don't think about that. Or peeling your potato skins and making crisps out of them, oven them, season yep. it, and have them as crisps. It's got so much nutrients in the skin, but a lot of people just throw yes, the so peels away. Yeah. Yes, that's Oh, true. God, we can have this conversation all day. <laughs> so another question I wanted to ask that's you was... That's, that's a great tip about yeah, the garlic. Try, try it. It works really well. And with ginger, I... Um, I love ginger, so um, with ginger as well, I um, I constantly grate you know it. I so, yes, yeah, so you know what I do when you peel the ginger. I keep the peel and see. I make a drink with water. just with a little yeah. bit of honey. I I, I boil the peel and I put a little bit of honey in it and I keep it as a drink in the fridge. It's great. Oh, ginger so nice. is so good for you your health. Yeah. yeah, because I I just peel like I grate the whole thing and um put it in my water with um honey and lemon as well like lemon peel and i just yeah, oh i love it it, it feels really like that's comforting why so that's why you look so young <laughs> thanks <laughs> it's called asian i'm sure it's called asian <laughs> genetics <We'd> yeah. <laughs> all the, all the spices the we... <laughs> natural botox it's called <laughs> i have to tell you there's something i make in, there's something i make in france um Ooh, for instance, um, in southwest France, and they, they, of course, they have a lot of ducks and everything, and uh, they used to throw away the duck feet. And I said, okay. do not throw away the duck feet. I said, you make a confit for me, and I'll give you the uh, my Chinese recipe with ginger, spring onions, garlic, star anise, uh, five-size powder, and the duck feet. I tell you something. It's so delicious and oh, it's wow. better than Botox. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to try this. <laughs> I have to try this. When I come to Paris, when I, I want to try this, I have to. Oh my God, it's exciting. So I have to ask you. Um, yes. I read an interesting article about you where you mentioned that all Chinese cooking follows the ancient yin and yang principle of food science. You know, Chinese diets are extremely healthy since they rely on cooking methods that preserve vitamins and do not use dairy products. But I have to ask, why are kitchens using monosodium glutamate? That was one of my big questions. Do you know what? You know why they're using it? Because they're cheating. Um, when they use it, um, you know, by the way, uh, MS3 monosodium glutamate was invented in Japan okay. in 1906 by Ajinimoto. And it's a flavor enhancer 
which is totally unneeded. And uh, as you and I know, it's in all the processed food. You can't mm -hmm. do crispy. Uh, you, you stock things. You look at them, and you look. You look in the back, and you know it's been enhanced. And the thing is, um, you know what's really interesting? I've been reading about also about obesity, how mm -hmm. it's on the big rise all over the world. And you know what that comes from? Processed food. In other words, adding things like MSG to food it makes you thirsty and it's addictive mm -hmm. because it's like salt. You will eat yeah. lots more of it, more than they should. Mm -hmm. And and of course, big companies find it a cheap way to sell more of junk food. <laughs> and those of us who uh, those uh, you know, I tell parents, please do not get your children addicted to things like that. Because then uh, obesity is on the rise. It's amazing. Um, when you see things like in, in the U.S., more than 40% are obese and almost 70% are overweight. And, of course, this brings up a lot of problems with health. It's not good for you. Um, and we're talking about cost as well. Medical costs, yeah. what it costs, national health insurance, um, it, it, it's not good all around. And I always grew up with, so we were poor, but we had good mm -hmm. food that was seasoned. We ate things that came into season. And it was great when it went out of season because you were sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, it's true. <laughs> and then and what happens is, when it comes around again, you look forward to it. You say, oh, my God, asparagus is coming back in. Um, and, and people don't realize that it's also, if you eat seasonally, it's a lot cheaper. In mm. other words, um, you, you go and buy what's in season, and invariably the price is very low. Why? Because it's in season. they have abundance <laughs> of it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And they get, need to get rid of it. And also, too, mm. What people should do when it's in season, they should buy it, cook it off. And this is where the freezer is very good. That's mm -hmm. not processed food. You cook your own food yeah. using good ingredients, no such thing as MS monosodium glutamate, mm -hmm. and you freeze it. And it's really good. Actually, I think the freezer is probably the best investment for saving food costs simply mm -hmm. because you can make things save it and it cuts down food waste what we've been raving about <laughs> absolutely and, uh, absolutely yeah. but it's curious I, from yeah. when we were talking about msg the other day um i wondered because a lot of people are having health issues related to msg you know um, i myself so yeah you get headaches i have i ended up having um ibs from it and I was in hospital for a while. My husband gets stomach aches wow. and headaches. So then I want, and my uncle collapses. And it's really curious that um, we have to be careful that where we eat, we don't have anything that has MSG. But then I thought, is there a connection? You know, you mentioned obesity because it's a flavor enhancer. You want more. You know, it's 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 a money making thing as well. But then, if you're having headaches, my husband's stomach aches, and me with IBS. There must be a thing with like a connection with nerves and your you know your, your nervous system as well because it, we don't know what goes into MSG really. I should find out, but you know what really goes into it and how it actually affects our body because it's not natural. And I find okay. it, it, I find it quite a dangerous thing. So, like you, I go to the supermarket and I'm constantly reading the labels because there is nothing in my house that contains MSG because I think it's so bad for children growing up. You don't want them having, you know, so much crisps or peanuts with flavor enhancers. It's, it's, it's shocking, you know, but hopefully, and, hopefully and, it, yeah. it goes. <laughs> and I know when I've had it because uh, you get extremely thirsty and dehydrated as well. Yeah. So, I mean, as we know, that, that can't be good. 
simply because, um, um, especially for older people, uh, you have to be aware of dehydration. And yeah. uh, these are, are just so important to know. I, 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 I mean, I know these companies will hate us, but this they is will. the truth <laughs> we're revealing. It is. <laughs> It's true because um, when I was on my placement, um, that's, that's why I ended up getting ill. And then, you know, through the project with the NPD chef, we created food for the NHS for the Asian community without MSG. It had to, no salt, no MSG. Yeah. And it was, it was tasty. It wasn't bad. It was just, it tasted natural as opposed to something was bunged with so much I don't know, it, it didn't feel stodgy or unhealthy for your stomach. It was, it tasted clean. That's what I clean. It was really nice. And I think if, you know, seasonality takes over and provenance, a lot of people will stop, you know, buying out of date food, not updates, um, out of seasoned foods to make things taste better. I don't know why, <laughs> honestly. Please <laughs> use it because it's a cheap, way to get people addicted um legally <laughs> and um, um the more people are aware of it like you are and talking about it uh, more people will ask questions like for instance if i go to a chinese restaurant i just make sure i ask them i said i'm allergic to msg so i uh, you sure you don't have it and it usually good places don't need it because you know mm. what they're using they're using stock that they make in other yeah. words uh you know msg is a shortcut it's it a is. cheap shortcut yeah and yeah, so yeah, absolutely because i think a good may <laughs> let's hope so because i think a good fume or a stock works sure. and if we slowly do it it's fantastic you know and nothing sad, is like, thank yeah. No, no good food needs a shortcut. You just take your time and put your love into yeah. it, and it will come. It will come out so beautifully, definitely. Absolutely, so, absolutely. it shows. It does. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, in order to prepare and serve the best food, Chinese or otherwise, fresh natural ingredients must be used. Um, you know, they're carefully prepared. They're aesthetically pleasing. What's your favorite season and the produce that comes with it? Well, you know, it's interesting you ask that because I, I like whatever is in season. In other words, I, I, I'm not biased toward one thing or another. I'm not crazy about winters. <laughs> I don't like cold. <laughs> That's why you're on holiday. <laughs> but you see, see what I try to teach is um, how you get natural flavors. How do you make things taste good? What what makes things taste good also? is your techniques in the kitchen. For, for example, I'll give you a good example, Anisha. You take, for instance, uh, uh, meat, uh, chicken, whatever your favorite meat is, and you cut it into small dices, and you marinate it in uh, soy sauce, rice wine, sesame oil, and a little bit of corn flour. You can use it immediately. now. The secret is how do you make it taste good? Well, first, you have to know that you need to heat up your wok, then put the oil, mm -hmm. and when it's smoking, you stir fry your meat, and then you drain it. And you see, that is what gives it flavor. You don't need anything artificial. You get that smoky, grill, addictive flavor. And that's what comes with things like stir frying and using the wok and knowing how to use it you see that okay. people always ask chinese for for a real pain or like the french when it comes to food and uh, my mother used to say when we went out somewhere she said oh there's not enough of the breath of the wok or what she means we call it wok hey the flavor of the wok mm. she she said they put it in too soon or not soon <laughs> <laughs> they're real pain Oh my gosh, that's amazing! That's amazing. Oh, but I think I think as well, like 
I think for me, it would be the in-between seasons because that's when things are sprouting yeah. and you don't know what you're going to get. And I, I like that excitement and expect like the excitement of like knowing what's going to come. I think that's a nice time. Yes. Yeah. You know, but then I, do- I, I tell people, yeah, people are worried about their budgets and everything like that. So I said, you go and see what is the cheapest produce and you stock up on it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, some of it, some of it, you can cook and then put it in your freezer. And um, that now, see, if you cook asparagus, cool it and then put it in the freezer, and then you have it when it's not in season. That's all right mm. because yeah. it's still very good. And the more we need to get back to basics, this is how people mm. used to live. <laughs> people Absol- used to live Absolutely. like that. But this is curious because we, we, um, I think we need to champion it as well because I, I think countries like Italy, um, Spain's own is getting there. They're famous for regionality and seasonality. The way they've marketed yeah, themselves, yes. you know, yeah. and, and I've said this many a times on my podcast, um, Spain's very regional because I like Italy. Um you know, but when I go to the north coast, there's only two weeks, and um, there's a type of tuna that comes, and it's ventresca, and you have this. You only have the belly meat because it's only then that you should have it, and wow. it is rem- mm. it is remarkable, <laughs> remarkable, and oh, and for me, it is it's amazing. And the thing is, so like you know, in the north, um. Even when you have uh, what they call sambarinias, scallops, scallops, you have them in the shell, short time for it. But when they're done, they put it on a chart like a, you know, a wood, like a wood barbecue with garlic and olive oil. And oh my God, I'm in heaven. And I eat everything. I love it. I love the bit. I, I just love everything. And, um, and it's that. And then when, you know, the, the whole thing as well, if you want beef, you go to the North Coast. So you'll go to um Cantabria, Galicia, Asturias and Bilbao because the pastures are really green and it's raining so they've got such good feed and if you want pork or Iberian pork you go to the south coast which is like Granada and Malaga and yeah I am but you won't ever really but order beef see, in the south. Yes you see you have this uh for instance in France. Um yeah France as well yeah with people in uh, in Provence and this um, very south in Marseille, they did, they do not use butter; they use olive oil, and uh, we have that um, in China as well. Each region mm. is quite different. For instance, um, we don't. Um, I'm Cantonese. I'm from the south, mm. so mm. we eat lots of fish, lots of fresh vegetables, and you can see why because the climate is conducive to that. Yeah, because the climate is very warm. It is it's almost semi-tropical. So, yeah. Um, but people in the north, they eat much more meat, <laughs> lamb. But it's true. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's the thing. It, it, it's true, but because we we get because we've got a tropical coastline, so we get avocados and and mangoes and the melons are incredible. But being picky, I prefer my mangoes from India. I just love how beautiful they taste and the, the color as well it's just this blood orangey yellow it's so deep that I'm like wow and I do like my mangoes here but when I know they're from India I'm like oh my god I'm gonna make a lassi it's oh I love it <laughs> it's so good you know, also too what I try to tell people is use your nose in other words as you said mango here I'm in Bangkok it's tropical my God, the mango! You smell it. You just oh. but, but you want to rub it all over you. <laughs> it's true because you know what I like with the mango when the sugar starts sap. You know, it starts to, the sap comes out, and that's when you know eat it then because it's it's just it's just it couldn't get any sweeter. It's delicious. Yeah, and people to let things ripe. I I love my fruits very very ripe. In other words, mm-hmm. um, we have this thing now. It, if bananas start getting black, oh my god! Because we had chuck it up. Are you joking? Mm-hmm. That's the best, as you yeah. said. 
that's when all the sugar comes up and bananas mm. that are oh, just very blackish. Oh, that is so good. This is good. It, it, it's curious. My, my my little son, he's really particular with his bananas, and he likes them just ripe. He will not have it without any black like black sugar spots. It has majority of the peel food. is. <laughs> yeah, he knows what oh. he likes, and he's like, if it's yeah. like tastes chalky, I'm not having it, and he'll smell it. He's got this habit of smelling his food before he eats it. And he's only two, but yeah. he surprises yeah. me. He surprises me so much. And with the banana, he'll smell it and he'll go, he'll go, Esther, Esther. And I'm like, okay, so that's the one. And he knows. And it's sweet. He's a chip off the old block. He is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell Carlos this. <laughs> but it, it, it's interesting yeah. that, you know, if we teach our ch- children well, yeah. they'll continue to do the same, you know, absolutely. I've been lucky. And, See, I've been lucky. We grew up very poor. But um, we ate well, except not enough. <laughs> but that's what. <laughs> but what I meant by that is, um, we always ate seasonally, and everything my mom made was simple but delicious. Okay. For instance, she would use things like fermented bean curd, which is a great seasoning. Mm-hmm. It's inexpensive, and it just. Adds depth and flavor to, mm-hmm. for instance, like bitter melon. Yeah, and you know, all those kinds of things are also good for your health as well. Yeah. But people don't realize, you know, having. I tell parents, the best thing you can give your child is a lifelong love of veggies. Yeah, because you see some that will never eat veggies. And if you teach them to love vegetables, mm. you're giving them a healthy lifestyle that will be great for them. That's your biggest gift to them. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. eating habits are really important. If you teach a child to eat right and well and to love things mm. in moderation, you're giving them good health for the rest of their life. I think so, you know. Great. I think because um I remember when I was teaching English over a decade ago, um, we had a section on food and the children I was teaching were about eight years old. And we, we did this whole mood board of like, what foods do you like? What's your favorite food? And the the six children in my class went, I love arroz cubaros, like Cuban style rice. I love my grandma's lentils. I love this. And, you know, it was all home cooked food. And what surprised me was, what's your least favorite food? Hamburgers, chicken wings, <laughs> uh, and it was all processed food. It was really curious. Like, I don't like it because Good. it doesn't taste like homemade. And everyone yes. said homemade. And I was like, you guys are eight years old. I, it, it, it blew my mind. But then I thought to myself, if you've grown up eating food like this, why would you want anything else? You know? Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, and- it's 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 so important because then later when they go they grow up they go to university they're not just going to eat anything they want to cook it themselves and they want Absolutely. to recapture that home you know that's yeah. also too you agree with me that's a lot of love I mean, home I think food so. is- it is it's love <laughs> and but it, it surprises me as well because Lucas grew up on Carlos making homemade soup from six months and it would have like you know um seasonal vegetables um some garlic and maybe some wow. meat, you know but what surprises me because he was eating we never bought um jarred food unless we were traveling somewhere but night you know 99 of the time it was home cooked food but now i'm glad it was because he eats the food we eat and yeah, he does not. He doesn't eat things because we don't eat processed foods. Uh, I make my own fish fingers. I make my own chicken nuggets, but I don't really make it. But when we do, he doesn't eat it. He does not like. He doesn't like chips, and he doesn't like, you know, Good. deep fried food. And that's why I'm like, we did well in indirectly educating him with good food. Yes. You know, which which well, is good. So, it, there's still room to grow in the UK. 
it's a gift for life. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, he carried that with him all his life, and and uh, he's going to grow up. <laughs> absolutely. So, how you know when we talk about food and provenance, how do you think you know, and you know the stories and the teachings from your mother? How do you think it's shaped you and the way you've embraced it in your life? Well, I I think um, what you inherit from your parents. Um, because my mother was a single mother because my father uh, passed away when I was eight months old. Mm -hmm. And so she had to raise me alone and she had to work, which meant um, when she came back home, she did not have a lot of time to cook. So, and we were, you know, quite uh, poor. Mm -hmm. And so she cooked what was, as we said before, in season, but it was flavorful. We had a lot of rice <laughs> that filled me up. <laughs> yeah, but, and makes you feel sleepy. Bench, exactly, exactly. And it's, it's funny because it gives you a foundation of how you feel about food. In other words, um, I remember um, I, I grew up in, in the States and, and seeing people who were not Chinese, how their parents would just say, oh, I'll give you something. We don't eat the same thing as you do. You eat this and this is for us. And you're, you're absolutely right. Your, your child should be eating what you're eating. Yeah. And, 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 and for instance, this is what I love in France. You go to restaurants and you have children in restaurants. I know the UK, they don't like children in restaurants. And it's because, yeah, it, it's because they sit down, they eat what their parents are eating, and they're being exposed. I mean, we're talking about Michelin-star restaurants. Yeah. You see young kids, eight years old, even younger, sitting down correctly, not running around, um, mm. well-behaved, well, because they're enjoying the food. Yeah, <laughs> they're enjoying the food. And their parents are teaching them about the mm. food, why it's good, and they don't go, what's that? They, they go. Mm. <laughs> Remember, it's true. I, I was fascinated when I, um, when I first went to France and then would go into this restaurant, and all these young kids would be sitting there and, and just eating adult food yeah. and and loving it and yeah. really loving it, asking questions about it, and also it's not just food. It's about how it's made and what it is, what it comes from. And, and we need to learn to expect that as well. Yeah. We don't, that's why when you throw away food, you don't respect uh, where it comes from, whether mm -hmm. it's an animal or even the plant. Um, it's respect that, that mm -hmm. we, we must gain back of all, all these, what nature is giving us. Yeah. And, and we mustn't throw it away, and we mustn't abuse it. Uh, by Absolutely. Being so all those kind of, uh, I think, are really important. And these are things I learned from my mom, too, see? Because children learn from their parents. Mm -hmm. And um, we have to be careful and not mm -hmm. sort of throw away money because we didn't have it. But it, it's not only that. Um, don't be wasteful. <laughs> so, it's true. And, and, yeah. and guess what? That's going to help. That attitude will help save the planet. Because when we take everything from food and even buying things and then we throw it away, mm -hmm. um, it's not good for the planet. Absolutely. I, I think it's, it's good to be mindful, you know, mindful of what you're cooking, how you're cooking it, where it comes from, and how you actually eat it as well. It's like a, it's, it's, it's like a process of connecting with everything that you're doing for that ingredient. Absolutely. You know? Um, Absolutely. But it was... And but it was in one process is not cut off from the other. Yeah, it's connected. It's all connected. Yeah, it's connected. And I think it was interesting you saying that children go out to eat with the parents. It's the same culture all across the Mediterranean we, we we take Lucas, but it's it's curious, you know. Like we we take this is why, this, 
this is why they live the longest. On the exactly. <laughs> enjoyment, enjoyment, relaxation, good sun. It's, yeah. it's all ticks, you know, it's all ticks and win-win. And But it, it's curious, you know, like there's some restaurants, you know, there's a, there's another city in Spain um, called Jaén. And it's, it's it's known for its olive oil region. It's a whole, the whole of Jaén in the province is olive oil. And, and um, the restaurants have their own sort of orchard. And they promote their own olive oil with their dishes, and they make these elaborate dishes, seasonal but elaborate. And you see children in the restaurants, and they have, and they'll say, "This is olive oil from here. This one's from here. This one's from here. Here's your bread." Lucas is dipping away. Other children are dipping away, and everyone is I like Lucas together. <laughs> yeah, like he's a major foodie. He knows what he likes, and he eats. But what I find amazing is that. When he smells food, he eats it. He starts laughing like, <laughs> because he's enjoying it. And when he's not laughing, he doesn't, he doesn't like it. But but it's I see all the children with their families, and I'm like, this is what food should be. And I think it's sad that, you know, I grew up in the UK, and children have to sit in another part of a restaurant, or before 7 o'clock, you've got to take your kids home. And I'm like, this is not life and children are missing out on these experiences that we take for granted in the UK. You know, I think it should it's be a whole life. experience. Yeah. Exactly. And to question food, but, but ask just, about it. Yeah. See, the UK has changed now. I think um, uh, I try to sort of trace myself uh, what happened. I think part of that was because of the war. Um, mm. And when I first went to the UK uh, 52 years ago, I felt mm -hmm. that it was still on sort of Russian. Um, and it was just coming out of, of the war. But now I think when you go to the UK, you see this explosion of foods uh, from around the world and how uh, British chefs are mm -hmm. taking all these lessons they grew up with, uh, with Asian ingredients with uh, mm. ingredients from Italy uh, everywhere and integrating yeah. them into uh, I call it new British cooking and it's yeah. great and uh, everybody's benefiting from all that it is and I think definitely. it's a good thing yeah I, instance, I think so I'm, I think it's I'm, yeah I've been asked to provide um uh, a dish for uh, to celebrate the coronation of uh, uh, King Charles, and I did um, um, Asian lamb with um, uh, roasted lamb with uh, an Asian marinade. Why? Yeah. Because I think it reflects ingredients now that you can get in the UK, mm. which opens up the world to you. In other words, mm. things like soy sauce. Um, mm mixing mustard and ginger and things like that people never used to think about that and yeah and now is so much richer for all that mm -hmm. and it's just to celebrate the mixing of all these hey listen world yeah. we're, we're actually one world yeah and the sooner we Absolutely. realize that the, the better we're gonna have yes yeah definitely <laughs> food wise but Food-wise, definitely, because I think UK is one of the few countries that's amazing for cross-cultural cooking because they've embraced food from different parts of the world and kind of mixed it and yes. fused it in with theirs. And I think it's amazing how they have embraced that because it makes a, you know, it, it just kind of, there's this creativity involved. And I think it's fantastic that they're learning techniques from other cultures. And I think it's UK is fantastic for that. And everybody benefits. Absolutely. Everybody. Your taste buds, your tummy, your taste buds. It's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> like, <laughs> so so <laughs> another question I have to ask is, you know, there's cookbooks, food magazines, TV shows, celebrity chefs, blogs, and they've all changed the meaning of food entirely as a collective, like, you know, as a collective group. But when you first began, how did Chinese food or Asian food, like you know, differ from what it is today? Well, I think when I 
began to teach cooking, um, it was relatively not as known as it is now, simply because people didn't travel. In other words, um, I think part of the reason, for instance, why people in the UK are so open mm. to things is because they love going abroad. In other words, yes, I, I see a lot of people here in, in uh, Bangkok. I know they travel to Hong Kong, everywhere. They, they're really uh, amazing. I met the British ambassador, this young man. He speaks fluent Chinese and now wow. Thai. I said, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this, wow. Wow. This is it's pretty, pretty amazing. But yeah, I, I, I think um, because they, they are thirsty to learn. Mm-hmm. And now I, I, I can remember um, I did not come to Hong Kong until 1980. Wow. So um, it's because things like that were not that accessible. Okay. But now people just hop on a plane uh, as you as if you're taking a bus. <laughs> and yeah, that's true. That is the huge difference. And what has happened is be- people have become more sophisticated about Chinese food because they're exposed to it. They're exposed to it. We we have media, social media. Um, I'm just think about people. Not only writing books, but you have it, and of course, broadcasts. Uh, not only on my my last BBC series was filmed in China. And before, it's amazing wow. <laughs> that you can even yeah, film yeah, in wow. China. Let alone wow. take uh, five weeks, eight weeks, uh, that sort of thing, uh, with mm. a crew of eight. Um, that opens doors that wasn't open before, and People's palate has become much more sophisticated. In other words, you can't, it's harder and harder to pass off bad food <laughs> to people. Yes. People would say, that's not good. That's, it's the market, but that's a good thing. That's capitalism for that, for food. Good thing. Yes. Uh, and I can see, I can see here in, in Bangkok when people are queuing up at a food stall or like my chicken lady, I know it's good because they're queuing up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's curious. I I learned to cook Thai food in Thailand when I was in Bangkok, yes. in Chiang Mai, but I didn't learn at a cookery school. I learned from the women in the shacks because for oh, me, it was a, I wanted to immerse myself into real home food and I was spending time in shacks and and learning that way. And for me, I was like, it was the best experience. Yeah. (laughs) Those are the best. Those are the best. Uh, In fact, here in Bangkok, my Thai friends say, yeah, we're looking for mom's cooking. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. For me, mom's food is always the best. Always, always, always. Like, Like, I... I used to spend a lot of my time with my grandmother and um, oh. when I, unfortunately, I put on so much weight, I'd be with her for a week and she would feed me a full-on breakfast, full-on lunch, <laughs> full-on dinner. But I was like, I'm not exercising enough and I'd have to buy another pair of jeans. So a week's worth of food intake it would take me a month to lose and I'd be like, but it was worth it. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. You know, and and so when I think about this, do you think that you know your surroundings and your cooking style mimic your cultural identity and things you've learned? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I don't think a lot of people realize that. Um, of course, I you know, my first thing was uh, Chinese cookery, but that um, um, my third book was actually called East Meets West Cuisine. And this was, okay. a, you weren't even born yet, I know, in 1986. <laughs> I was, I was. I was born in February. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm but, 37. 
<laughs> but it reflected um, what was happening um, with my own uh, sort of journey and career as a teacher. I was teaching chefs up, okay. um, at the Culinary Academy in San Francisco, but I was teaching them about Chinese cookery. But now they weren't Chinese, but so I had to uh, tell them uh, to teach them why they could learn from Chinese cooking. In other words, it doesn't have to, they're not going to open up a Chinese restaurant, but what are the lessons you can learn and how can you blend things together mm. um, and add a, a fusion? That's, that's what they call now fusion cooking. And um, I wrote the first book on it and it was a good reflection of where I was going. In other words, okay. even though I'm a Chinese chef, I, I, um, I was interested in French cooking, uh, mm. Italian cooking, for instance. And when I went to Europe, it just opened wow. eyes, my food and my palate. Okay. And I, I want to share that with mm. chefs and my students that that food is not in one category, just like people. You can't yeah. discriminate. You can't say you're this, you're that. We're all yeah. one species. Yeah. And what is great about food is uh, food is a reflection of our mm. history and culture. But let's share it. Let's learn from it. Mm. I want to learn your culture. I want to learn your food. And one of the best ways to learn was uh, a language is harder, <laughs> but food is yeah. easier. Yeah. I yeah. Going to Spain and Eating pata negra for the first time, I was going, oh, "Wow, what yeah. is this?" <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. A, it melts on your tongue. Oh, I, I take it. Well, and, and being very Chinese, I want only want the fattiest part. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny, but it is delicious, and, and you like chicken yeah. skin, and you so, know, yeah, like. <laughs> And I, um, I, I always remember when I um, went to uh, uh, El Buri the first time, uh, the, oh, wow. the only time actually. Yeah, and um, this was quite a long time ago. And he had a copy in my East West book. Oh, wow, wow. <laughs> Did you sign it for him? So, yeah, yeah, yes, I was, I, I was chapped and thrilled and <laughs> humbled. <laughs> That's amazing. But, you know, through your teaching, you know, I, you know, I had this conversation with Cyrus Tadiwala and um, Vivek Singh. Nice that in, in Indian food, for example, they've come across, if, if you don't respect your food, how do you expect people to enjoy your food? And, Absolutely. you know, have you come across chefs that have tried, you know, they think, if food is going off, they're like, oh, I chucked loads of marinade in it and it's fine. No one's going to like taste that it's going off. No way. But, but have you come across chefs like that in the industry that are thinking, let's take the shortcuts and found that they don't have a passion and love for the food that they're creating when they're learning? Well, this is why, well, this is why people use MSG. Because right. um, yeah. when you take shortcuts like that, uh, but you can tell because the, the, the marketplace is fierce, com fiercely competitive now. So yeah. you have to be true to yourself. And as you said, we have to make food that people want to eat. And more important than adverts or anything, how people know about someplace that's good. I always tell this to chef is by word of mouth. Yeah. Nothing is stronger. Yeah. Word of mouth, go to this place because it's good. I trust mm -hmm. that more, and I trust from all the all these critics and newspapers and things mm -hmm. like that. I think it's so important. Friends tell me, yeah. like if you told me a place to go to in Spain, I yeah. even though nobody's heard of it, talked about it, and yeah. I have invariably 
never been disappointed, but mm -hmm. I've been disappointed when I read about someplace and I went to and gone. Is there all there is? <laughs> never is true. Said, yeah, word of mouth. Huh? Yeah, word of mouth is, is fantastic. You know, from friends who have taste, who really know what something is, and I I see that in Bangkok. Um, last few days I went to these Chinese restaurants that. Um, people have recommended oh my gosh yeah. fantastic really top-notch let's see <laughs> it's true it's true like for me in bangkok i loved going to little india because the food yeah was like being in india i was like are you i was yes. having curry for breakfast i was like this never happens <laughs> and like even i have this memory of when we were in singapore again um Oh, we great, went to great, the great food. It was yes. one of the most amazing places I ate. And I remember there was a little stall and it was like, um, I can't remember what it was. And I had meat curry and barata. Oh my God. Oh, I, I saw my mouth is still <laughs> salivating. It was one of the best meat curries and baratas I ever had in my life. It was like, it was, it was, you're making wow, my mouth water. It was because it, it, it was like the sauce was really thick and and soupy, but like the spices had really like just melt, like it kind of just penetrated to the meat, and the meat fell off the bone, and you didn't even have to chew it; it just melt, it just dispersed and melted on your tongue. And I'm like, it was, it was, it was in a tiny street store. It was one of the best dishes I've ever had in Singapore. I was like, wow, like it was. Oh, I'm so hungry, <laughs> like, but. When it's done with love and it's unexpected, yeah. it's always the best as well. Definitely. And I think and Singapore is is really good for that. Um, what they have, uh, it's a big problem because um, I was with the Singaporean ambassador the other day. Uh, he's a great foodie, and he said the problem in Singapore now is that people are used to um, good food but cheap. In other words. Um, after somebody's been cooking for 30 years, he's going to retire. Their kids are not going to take over because yeah. it doesn't pay as much as if they become a lawyer or doing something else. Okay. And this this is going to be a, a, a big problem, problem, I think. And yeah. also, too, we shouldn't, I mean, it's not that food should be cheap or expensive, but we should pay people. Mm love their food and as you say who, who yeah. cooks it correctly we yeah. shouldn't be cheap about that definitely i think so i think so because i feel sometimes a lot of people want good food but then they don't want to pay the price for it as well and it, it just becomes it's not messy <laughs> yeah, yeah but i think you know I, I think as well, it doesn't have to be Michelin star to be fantastic, you know. Exactly, exactly. Especially Absolutely. when you travel, you know, you've traveled across the world um, and you've experienced food from everyone. And sometimes I think the most unexpected places will leave a more memorable, you know, taste on your in your mouth Absolutely. to something that you would have had mm. in a Michelin restaurant, you know. Yes. Absolutely. And what I love about these food stars is they, they often specialize in something. In other yes. words, they just do it so bloody well. I mean, they've been <laughs> cooking it. This is what I, I used to tell chefs. I said, if you cook that dish um, 30 times a day or 40 times, you've got to get really good at it or else you're going to go out of business. Yeah. yeah. And so specializing in a few dishes and this is what I always try to get chefs to do. Cut down your menus. Don't try to be yeah. everything to everybody. Concentrate mm -hmm. on all your best dishes. Yeah. And make them superb. Absolutely. And it's okay. People are for it. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. But I like that. I, I think I get overwhelmed with massive menus. And I always feel oh. like if, if the menu is too big, if you're not going to, if you're not specializing no. in a few, then exactly. you're going to be disappointed somewhere, and yeah, no, it's absolutely. a bad sign like, when it's 
because you the thing is a big menu requires a huge mise en place which means uh, the, all the preparation which means a lot of waste because yeah. if they can't sell it all where does that go and you have to ask yourself this kind of question and i've always found the best uh, as, as you said the best restaurants are those who specialize in a few dishes they just people queue up for that and yeah. uh, my mouth yeah. my mouth is watering now <laughs> you know mine is so. i'm thinking about the meat curry in singapore i'm like mm, this is tasty <laughs> so <laughs> so you know um um i feel like what we are reflects who we are you know um where our ancestors came from how we relate with our food in you know asia in general like even india it offers one of the biggest varieties of vegetables because we have so much terrain that's different and when you go to the local supermarket there's an abundance of unusual vegetables that you can eat with um you know so when we think about learning about these green grocers or these farmers you know they're sharing their diverse identities that we should talk about because it also has environmental impacts of food mm-hmm. and you know when we try and get indian vegetables across to the uk there's a food issue there like if we can't grow these vegetables in the uk in its season or according to our terrain do you think we're contributing to a unsustainable system when it comes to well, you know, sharing the story and the food and but you know what we should do. You know what we should do. We should learn also. Uh, if you want to cook great Indian food, like for instance in London or in Madrid or Paris, mm-hmm. rather than to buy things from India or whatever, what you do is you take the lessons. Mm-hmm. And you use vegetables that you can get where you are, mm. but with those flavors. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. In other words, think outside of the box. Things that, you know, there's this, all this question about authenticity. Well, mm. we're not in China, so. Yeah. <laughs> but we learned the lessons of doing Chinese food. And use ingredients that we have. And there's nothing wrong with that. And this is why Chinese restaurants have thrived all over the planet. It's because they, I remember growing up uh, working in my uncle's restaurant in Chicago's Chinatown. And my uncle mm-hmm. used things like asparagus, which is not Chinese. <laughs> I guess what? I loved it. We don't, don't See, because he was thinking outside the box. And of course, Chicago also is famous for beef, and Americans love beef. He would do um, a steak that he would marinate in a little bit of sesame oil, just a tiny bit of soy sauce, and he would grill it the way Americans like. And he would slice it and put it on a bed of bok choy and a drizzle oyster sauce over it. And he called it a Hong Kong wow. steak. <laughs> it was a bestseller. <laughs> washing the dishes i got to eat the leftovers because people when they couldn't finish it oh wow that's so good i love that's the best part (laughs) picking everyone's food (laughs) that's amazing though because i because i also felt like you know i feel like the whole thing of authenticity and knowing where your food comes from it's, that's important, I think. That's you know, important. the journey. The it's the journey that yes. is taken, you know. And, for example, like at the moment here in season, it, there's peas and green beans. And yes. I always like to know where it's come from, you know, because I only get peas for about three weeks of the year. And when I get it, I try and use as much of it as I can if, before I get fed up of it. Yes. <laughs> but... It's, That's it's the a freezer whole thing comes in. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Always. And and 
and for me it's the whole thing of like I want to know where it's grown where it's come from but then when I go to the supermarket I know that El Gordo Inglés has already potted peas and they sell it 200 grams for eight euros and I'm like mm. eight euros for 200 grams of peas and they're not even in season and I'm like why are people paying for that when it costs you three euros a kilo in season and it'll yes. be tastier and yeah and I, I, you know I, I think it's a food issue for me that we should be we're all contributing towards and we should be more conscious about it possibly yes. you're absolutely right uh, for instance one thing i try to support a lot is um, organic foods because number one is sustainable it's good for the planet and it's good for your mm. body and I, I think that's something i'm finding out I, i'm seeing more and more everywhere especially mm. in europe where you see it, where i live in france things are organic and people yeah. are, are more and more pushing that and of course for your children oh my god that's so important because you don't want them to mm. eat be eating pesticide and God knows what they they throw at you. <laughs> Absolutely. So my last question for you is, whether it's food identity or sustainability, how is the world of cooking changing since you first started in the industry? Well, I think, I mean, I've been cooking for like a long time. I've been 60-something years. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> <laughs> I could easily be your grandfather. Now, uh, uh, what what has changed is awareness. Awareness about a lot of things. We are more aware that we're in one world. Um, we know things that we do have consequences. Mm -hmm. um, we try to be more accountable to society, mm -hmm. And to to our children, simply because they're going to inherit the planet, and we can't screw it up for them. So mm. it's it's very important. The things we do now has consequences, and more and more, uh, uh, I, I talk to chefs, and I love it that they're aware of that. In mm. other words, um, it's not. Their heads are not in you know, somewhere else thinking that well, we're going to cook this, I'm going to do that. Uh, where does, as you said, where does it come from? How was it done? We're asking questions. And more and more chefs uh, are doing that, which is actually a very positive sign. And um, we need to work to make this planet, mm -hmm. save it from Absolutely. us. <laughs> Oh, yeah, from us, I feel like our generation, the, the, the 90s and the plastic revolution, industrialization really ruined our, our planet, what kick-started a downhill movement. And I, I think we should be thinking about what can we leave behind for our children. And I think maybe the younger generations are the ones that are going to be saving our planet from our mistakes. Yes. Uh, you know. <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so Ken well, I have that... to say on that note, thank, thank you, you so much for, for joining me it's, I'm absolutely I'm just so happy I'm so happy so thank you so much thank you